In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 38. The courtyard around the tabernacle was as much a place of worship as the Holy of Holies. In this sacred space was the altar, where burnt offerings and sacrifices were made to God. Chapter 38 describes the creation of the altar and the copper basin, a large vessel used for ritual washing. So, with the courtyard's completion, it's going to be almost time for everyone to come together to put this all together so that Yahweh could inhabit the holy place for his people. Good morning and blessed Epiphany Tide. Today is Tuesday, January 17th, 2023, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. This is the program where each weekday morning, we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Go online and learn more about their translating and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. So, as we open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 38, please join me in welcoming back to the show returning guest, the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Good morning, Pastor Shank. How are you and how are the saints of Trinity doing this new year? Good morning. God's blessings to you. Um, we're all doing good. We're all doing good. Um, the Lord continues to provide for us, though there's always challenges. We had a heartbreak of uh, a death in our congregation, and and yet we're comforted by the, the very word of, of resurrection and life. We're comforted by the, the promise that even in this text, it, it reveals to us that the glory of the Lord uh, comes and we get to be in his presence, and we're reminded of that truth, that God is with us. Even through our our heartbreaks and, and heartaches, um, God is with us, and that is what his gospel is all about, that he has, he has saved us through his Son, and we're looking forward to that glorious day where we will see him face to face. So that is... Uh, that's what we're dealing with as a, as a congregation, as as I'm sure um, all congregations are are the same. Sure, I mean, you know, death is the the wages of sin, but at the same time, you know, this is why we do all that we do, so that we can be uh, re, re, re uh, what am I trying to say? So that we can be comforted by the message mm-hmm. of the resurrection. And so, I'm grateful that they have you there to lead them through this. Well, I'll tell you what, we can get into our text, but before we do that, would you start us off with a prayer? Yeah, let's uh, pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Mighty God, our Heavenly Father, abide with us and bless us as we study your word. For your word has given us that promise, so fill us with thanksgiving that your word reveals that you are with us. Just as your glorious presence once filled the tabernacle and the ancient temple, so in the incarnation of your Son, Jesus Christ, you manifested the fullness of your glory in human flesh. Here, as we gather together as your people, we are reminded that at the supper of your Son, you reveal and deliver that glory to us. Be with us and call us once again always to your table where we receive the very body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And there you keep us, sustain us until that day in which we will behold your glory face to face through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 
Amen, brother. So in our text today, 38, we have the construction of uh, the bronze basin, the altar of burnt offering. And uh, what's interesting about the text that I'm about to read, uh, this is not the first time that we've heard it. Isn't that right, Pastor? This is a, this is a duplication of something we've heard earlier. Yeah, we've um, we've been kind of been uh, brought into some of uh, of what was to come, um, even going back to Exodus thirty and the preparations and the knowledge of those things, and and not just with the bronze basin, but the um, the offering uh, because of the census offering that would be taken uh, would be used for this construction, not just, uh, the bronze basin, but the, the construction of different materials for, uh, the silver and, and we'll get to hear, uh, the precious, uh, nature and the expense and the time and, um, kind of the elaborate nature, uh, of, of the presence of God with his people. Yeah. And, and I think it's fascinating too, because this isn't just, not just today, but also yesterday's episode we heard these repetitions of what has already been given, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them is certainly what you said. I think another is pretty simple. We we see the repetition because they want to demonstrate, or Moses wants to demonstrate, that everything was done according to God's plan, too. And so I, I think there's a lot to dig in here, even though we've already heard it back in chapter 27. Uh, but before I read... Uh, say the first, um, I don't know, 19 verses, uh, would you like to uh, set the stage any more for this text? Yeah, I mean, uh, if you looked at uh, chapters 36, uh, 37 here, 38, we have um, Bezalel and Eliab um, being given these instructions, uh, be giving what to, to do because they are now um, the chief artisan and assistant and and how they will do the work that needs to be done um so uh, it does fill us with a lot of uh thoughts about um how god does his work uh this is uh it's not just moses and aaron and 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 his sons it's not just the priests but artisans and others that will be used in in the work of construction and um, so for our listeners, too, they can be reflecting on about what gifts God has been given to them and how those gifts can be used in worship and the service of the church and the service of our neighbor uh, to glorify and, and to be used in many ways. So, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot, a lot there for our text. Well, I'm going to read actually the first 20 verses, and this is going to be uh, basically the, the construction of the tabernacle courtyard. And, and the next section, which I assume we'll get to probably after the break, will be collection of the materials for this, which is some new information that we haven't heard before. But let's go ahead and begin, starting with chapter 38. I'll be reading from the ESV. He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length, and five cubits its breadth. It was square, and three cubits was its height. He made horns for it on its four corners. Its horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. And he made all the utensils of the altar, the pots, the shovels, the basins, the forks, and the firepans. He made all its utensils of bronze, and he made it for the altar, uh, made for the altar a grating a network of bronze under its ledge extending halfway down. 
He cast four rings on the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. And he put the poles through the rings on the sides of the altar to carry it with them, and he made it hollow with boards. He made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. And he made the court for the south side. The hangings of the court were of fine twined linen, a hundred cubits. Their twenty pillars and their twenty bases were of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the north side there were hangings of a hundred cubits. Their twenty pillars and their twenty bases were of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the west side there were hangings of fifty cubits, their ten pillars and their ten bases, the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the front to the east, fifty cubits. The hangings for one side of the gate were fifteen cubits with their three pillars and three bases, and so for the other side. On both sides of the gate of the court were hangings of fifteen cubits with their three pillars and their three bases. All the hangings around the court were of fine twined linen. And the bases for the pillars were of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were silver. The overlaying of their capitals was also of silver, and all the pillars of the court were filleted with silver. And the screen for the gate of the court was embroidered with needlework in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It was twenty cubits long and five cubits high in breadth, corresponding to the hangings of the court, and their pillars were four in number. Their four bases were of bronze, their hooks of silver, and the overlaying of their capitals and their fillets of silver, and all the pegs for the tabernacle and for the court all around were of bronze. Okay, so we're, we're making the court, the, bonds, the bronze basin, the, the altar of burnt offerings. These things are being constructed, and they're being constructed just as God had told them, just as he had instructed them. Um, what are we getting from this, though? Maybe dig back into uh, some of the specifics and, and let us know, you know, remind us, what does all this mean? Sure. Um, for those who are, are listening, I would uh, encourage, uh, if you have a Lutheran Study Bible, on page 139, there's a wonderful diagram, actually a, kind of a couple different exhibits there, um, of the tabernacle and, and whole uh, with uh, the tent of meeting and all the vessels, and then um, a more detailed um, just of the of the tent of meeting and the vessels inside the tent of meeting and the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle within the Holy of Holies and the different um, objects and, and lots of uh, uh, lots of diagrams of um, or uh, notations of the different materials. So as amazingly helpful and amazingly beautiful. So uh, again, if you don't have a Lutheran study Bible, uh, I encourage you to get one. It's very a, a very helpful tool to kind of bring these things that we hear kind of visual life uh, for us. So as you take a look at the tent uh, and the whole uh, tabernacle area, um, it's all being constructed in a way that we have an inner, um, you have to enter in. So we're entering into the, the meeting place where God will meet with his people. And we have this courtyard area. And within this courtyard area where it's being screened off from the outside, um, you, the people get to come in and into that courtyard area. There is the uh, altar of burnt offerings. And this is where uh, burnt offerings are, are offered up. Um, 
morning offerings, evening offerings, um, different uh, types of offerings, different types of uh, things that are needed at different times of the year are being offered up to the Lord. And then within that, within that area, there's then the discussion of the basin and what that will be used for. And then within that, there is the the tent of meeting um, in which not not everyone goes. This is for uh, the priest, the high priest, and then only a certain time where the, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, where the tabernacle was. Um, so, um, yeah, there is a, a lot being um, um, erected and, and built. And uh, as we are hearing this whole chapter, I, I think uh, my thoughts come into, you know, the, the whys. You know, why so much care? You know, why so much... Um, expensive uh, materials and resources being given. Uh, why so much time and energy? Uh, because again, it's it's not just Moses and Aaron and and their sons, but other other people are being used. And and I think you're alluding to that when you said uh, that this is a command of the Lord that the Lord commanded. So this wasn't just uh, Moses uh, and Aaron getting together and saying, "Well, wouldn't it that wouldn't this be neat?" Wouldn't it be nice to have something that would kind of set us apart? Right. Um, wouldn't it be nice? Uh, you know, maybe we could demonstrate how how much control we have over the people, or how popular we are, because they'll they'll give us all these things, and it's for us. It's not it's not for them, but God Himself had given His command, and and the why there is He Himself uh, would be present with them. You know, when we ask why, I, I mean, I think we have to turn to the what. What is being given here? And God himself would be with them. And and this would be a place in which his mercy, the mercy, the gracious nature of his presence is there. Um, this is not uh, not a burden for the people, um, but a time for them to rejoice that God, the one who created the heavens and earth, had called them to be his people and given them this wonderful gift of his presence. And as he is present with them, he had given in them a means by which, means by which they would be forgiven, a means by which they would know uh, his grace is, is on them and for them. You know, I see also a law and gospel aspect to this because, you know, they haven't exactly had a good track record of being faithful. And we know that God knows that they'll continue to struggle with faithfulness as the time goes on. So we have here, as you said, God is the one who's setting them apart, not themselves. So I think that if this were just Moses and Aaron's concoction, I don't think they would have made it so large and elaborate because I can't help but think about the poles and the rings for the poles, they have to carry this stuff through the desert. And so this is a huge undertaking to assemble this or first create it, which is what we're talking about now, but then assemble it and then deconstruct it, transport it, reassemble it and do this over and over. So God is calling them to faithfulness to not just, you know, worship me, but to worship me in the way that I have instructed you to worship me, which is important because they're going to constantly be tempted by all the different practices of the surrounding nations and the pagans and the false gods. And so God gives them, and some things they're familiar with. Some of these things 
you can actually see in other religions, but God gives them and repurposes things for their worship of him. So the law aspect is, this is the way you must do it. And of course, as you so eloquently pointed out, the gospel aspect is, and then I will be here in a special way. You know, God's everywhere. We get it. God for them was even in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire as they as they moved across the desert. But here in this place, I am here for you in a special way. And and they can count on that. You know, God is condescending to them. They they want to worship him. Uh, they want to create an idol and, and, and make a throne for Yahweh. No, no, you can't do that. But God says, fine, here is a throne. Here's a mercy seat. Here is where you can find me. And I think that's part of all of this too. Yeah, I think you're bringing out a great, a great point of the weightedness of it, right? That there is a, a weight to their responsibility, um, their calling, maybe put it there, their calling as God's people. Um, God, God uh, would be in their midst and in this reality, their lives are going to be shaped by it. Um, there is a, a day-to-day responsibility of, uh, of the movement. Um, maybe they didn't have to move each and every day, but there is a lot of movement that they're going to go through in this time in the wilderness. They, were, they will pick up and move. And so there is the, the kind of the um, material weight of it all. Um, but I think the material weight of it all, of carrying it, carrying the very presence of God that they were his people reflects the reality that um, that there is a spiritual dynamic of the weightedness of responsibility of of bearing uh, God's name in this world. And then that um, that that presence reflects how their lives are shaped by it. I mean, just literally, I mean, their their literal encampment is being shaped um, by the fact of this tent, right? Of this tabernacle, of this this place of meeting in which it's in the center of their encampment. So um, the center of them is, is the fact that God is in their midst. And, and not just that, but then how they moved is shaped by that. Their year is shaped by that. Uh, their worship is shaped by God's presence. Um and uh, and then then the reality of the materials and the property and the wealth and, and themselves are being shaped in the very fact that God is present with them. So I, yeah, I, I I like that you brought out the fact that this isn't um, easy in the sense of how the world sees easy. There is right. a, a lifting a burden because God is with them, but it's not easy. Um, there is a, a responsibility um, that that they should rejoice in. Uh, often we find it in their grumbling and their complaining that mm-hmm. they are God's people. Um, but uh, but yeah, there there is a weight to it. One of the aspects of all of these things that are being constructed that sort of raises my curiosity, and and we heard this back in chapter twenty seven too involves the mirrors and the serving women. Um, I think that's that's um, something that isn't very explainable. I don't know that scholars really know what's going on. I'm not sure if you looked into that uh, or not, uh, but there's the section here where it talks about they uh, uh, have the, the mirrors, and they're using these mirrors to uh, 
bring together Seir. I think it's in verse eight. Verse eight. It says yeah. he made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. And so we know at this time that mirrors weren't glass, of course, like they are today. They were actually made of bronze or copper and just highly, highly, highly polished. Um, so they use this these mirrors to as the source material for creating this. Um, but have you have you researched or thought anything about these ministering women and who they might be? So I think there's just a, a I mean, verse eight is <laughs> we could uh, really uh, your imagination could run wild, right? Because um, you're thinking about the reality that these women um, who are ministering at that entrance of the tent of meeting. So you could be thinking, I mean, there are some uh, different commentaries talk about like Anna in the New Testament who devoted herself uh, to to prayer, to fasting, um, waiting for the coming of the Lord, and and there there's a few different, a uh, couple different examples like that they they use. Maybe maybe they were like that. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to fasting. Um, but because they did, did they need did they need mirrors anymore? Um, in the sense of um, they're being drawn out to see and uh, drawn out to see that they didn't. They didn't need to. Um, they didn't need to, uh, as, as other worldly women maybe care about the vanity of this life. And and I think there's there's something beautiful in that, right? Um, that their beauty is being given over into serving God. And so the God called them to not look to self, but to look to Him. And uh, I think there's something preaching there, right? That uh, away yeah, from self, away away from worldliness, away from uh, looking to selfish uh, responsibility, and and what what about myself? I, I don't need to look to that anymore because God's going to take care of me, and I'm going to uh, give my life over to prayer, uh, into the service of uh, maybe some tasks around uh, the filling of this basin, or or other things like that, or the gathering of uh, the needed uh, wood or coals or things like that. The need for the uh, for the burning at the altar or other kind of uh, things like that. Um, but we, we don't know exactly what they did, um, but we know what they gave. And they gave of their material things so that a basin, this bronze basin could be made. And we know what the bronze basin then was used for the washing of the priests. So anytime that the priest would come near a tent of meeting to enter it, or uh, the time came for him to offer up uh, sacrifices uh, that they would wash their hands and wash their feet so that they would not die. <laughs> Pretty clear in uh, Exodus chapter 30, uh, 17 through 21, um, that the, the anger of the Lord would not be kindled against them. So this washing was necessary for them. And uh, these women gave of what they had uh, so that uh, the worship of the Lord uh, would continue. You know, we think of how the the church even today and in times past, you know, you have these ideals where God has set forth, this is what you should be doing. And and like you described these women, people who, you know, should, and I, I know that you're conjecturing, but, you know, you should eschew the vanity of the world and serve the Lord. So now you don't need your mirrors anymore. And, and I think that's pretty spot on. Uh, I, we see that too. As uh, we're going to get into our next part, which is about all the things that people gave up to create this stuff. But 
I also find it interesting, though, that, and as I was starting to say, the church in the world and in times past has gotten in trouble for for just departing from God's will and ways. Corruption enters the church. But this is not a medieval issue where there were just popes and, and bishops that were that were wicked. This isn't just a modern issue. Uh, and the reason I bring this up is because the only other place in Scripture where these ministering women are mentioned, um, well, it's not actually a very favorable section. It's from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 22. Um, and we know that Eli uh, has some sons, and his sons are not very good people. And it actually says, now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all of Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So we even see way back in that time that that sin is still pervasive. It still corrupts uh, God's worship space. And I bring that up because, you know, there are people out there who maybe don't worship the Lord. They don't come to church. They're not part of, of God's uh, gifts and the sacraments because they've been they've been hurt by sinners in the church. And I just want to bring that up because this is not new. And, and just because you've been hurt by the church doesn't mean that you should abandon Christ uh, because, you know, this is something that unfortunately is going to be with us. And we need to continue to seek, seek those ideals that you were talking about. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing for which they gave, and again, it was to make this basin, and that was to remind the priests <laughs> that as they were were giving offerings to the Lord, sacrifice that they too were were soiled, right? And we were looking forward to, and now we can um, be reminded of of what Jesus has done. That He's a high priest that didn't need to offer up a sacrifice for Himself, for He wasn't soiled in our sins, in the sense of having Him Himself committed sin. But he was soiled in our sins because he claimed our sins as his own. Therefore, as you said, as for some who have been hurt uh, by by people in the church, well, yes, um, that that is a sad reality of our sin. But it's it's also not a a reality that we're ever going to deny that we are sinful. And we need this Jesus, each and every one of us, pastors, um, teachers, each, each and every one of us needs this Christ uh, who who comes as a lamb of God, who comes to take away all of our sins, that, that we are not sinless. And anytime a pastor thinks that he is sinless or doesn't talk about his own sinfulness, it's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing that we as pastors, we need to be reminded too, that we need this Jesus and, and we are ones who stand with the congregation to confess our sins and receive his gifts. We are ones that need to be washed, and we are washed in the waters of our baptism. Um, yeah, we're we're not uh, we're not sinless, and it's it's a tragic reality when when our sin has scandalized the church. Uh, may that not be, um, because it's a it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. In the section that follows, just the, that we already read, verses nine through twenty, you know, we have the making of the court, and we see a lot of precious materials being used. You know, so bronze, you know, still pretty hard to come by, right? So bronze and <laughs> silver. Uh, we don't see gold, and gold was used significantly within the holy of holies 
But now we see sort of a lesser metal, silver, uh, but we still have the holiness of the place being set apart by all of these precious materials. But there seems to be a, a clear distinction between the, the gold used inside sort of the Holy of Holies, inside the tent of the tabernacle itself, and sort of these lesser materials out here. Is there some significance to that, you think? I'm sure that there is. I think there, I've heard of some people talk about with some maybe uh, holy conjecturing, right? Um, they're, they're making some holy guesses of, of the things they're kind of moving upwards, right? Where the bronze is, and again, it's not to, to make the bronze base and less than each one of these right. things are precious and, um, and they should be seen as uh, being distinct and separate, but we're kind of moving up from the things that are touching the ground to things that aren't and moving up and into the Holy of Holies. So um, as we're moving in that direction, we're moving up and into the presence of God. And I think uh, that's always explained to me that uh, we're moving from the things that are uh you know, the, the ground is soiled, the people are soiled, they need to be washed, the base and bronze, the, and the things that are up close, touching silver, and the thing that is the thing, the, the tabernacle, um, is, is uh, inlaid with, with gold, because that is um, uh, where the presence of the, the glory of God is. So kind of moving in that direction is how it's always been explained to me. Well, and that makes sense to me, too. I tell you what, when we come back from our break, we're going to get into the very last section of this chapter, but we're going to hear about all the materials that were necessary to put together all of this. Uh, and I think that's going to really drive home how much is being put forth. So don't go anywhere. Pastor Shank and I will be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boom, and with me today is the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Folks, I love hearing from you. It's such an encouragement when you write in and share with me how Thy Strong Word is a part of your devotional life. If you have any questions or comments about today's show or you just want to say hi, feel free to direct all of your emails to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook and send me a message there. Thank you so much for listening and telling others about Thy Strong Word on the air, on demand, and at uh, your favorite podcasting app. <laughs> All right, Pastor Shank, before the break, we were talking about just sort of the, the weight of all of this, carrying it through the desert. 
really pointing to the gravitas and weight of God's presence among the people in this special way. Then we moved on to talk a little bit about the precious metals used. But in this next section, we get some hard numbers about just what metals and other things were used for the tabernacle. Before I read our last few verses for the rest of the episode, is there anything else that you want to say about what we've covered so far? No, I think um, I think we're good because then I think um, any kind of uh, other remarks we can definitely definitely comes back again here um, with uh, with the uh, with who and what we're we're building. Sounds good. Here we go. This is going to be verses twenty one through the end of the chapter thirty one. These are the records of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, as they were recorded at the commandment of Moses, the responsibility of the Levites, under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that Yahweh commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, there we go, of the tribe of Dan an engraver and designer and embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine-twined linen. All the gold that was used for the work in all the construction of the sanctuary, the gold from the offering, was 29 talents and 730 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. The silver from those of the congregation who were recorded was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary, a becca, a head, that is, a half a shekel, by the shekel of the sanctuary. For everyone who was listed in the records from 20 years old and upward, for 603,550 men, the hundred talents of silver were for the casting of the bases of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil, a hundred bases for the hundred talents, a talent a base. And of the 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars and overlaid their capitals and made fillets for them. The bronze that was offered was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. With it, he made the basis for the entrance of the tent of meeting, the bronze altar and the bronze grating for it and all the utensils of the altar. The bases around the court and the bases of the grate of the court, all the pegs of the tabernacle and all the pegs around the court. Okay, well, uh, talents and shekels and even a becca thrown in there. Uh, how <laughs> how much is all of this material? Um, it certainly is significant, uh, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's very significant, and and uh, kind of uh, in my mind, uh, my my I can't really uh, wrap my mind around the 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 amounts and totals. Um, I mean, one commentary said something like the gold that were used was over a ton and the silver that was used was over three and three quarters tons. And the bronze that was used was two and a half tons. And if you, I was just uh, typing into my computer real quick, what's the, the worth of gold today? And it was something like uh, just under $2,000 an ounce. So that's a, that's a pretty big number. <laughs> a pretty big that's number. I, 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 yeah, I'm like, I'm not going to do that calculation. I have no idea. I mean, that's just, uh, you need a mathematician to be able to do uh, all of that because you're going to have to do ounces to pounds, pounds to tons. And that is a, and then uh, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. So yeah, it kind of goes back to our, 
you know, uh, uh, many of us as uh, Lutheran Christians uh, have some uh, have a lot of European and dramatic uh, background, and we might be thinking, well, that's that might be a waste. <laughs> that might be a, we could use that for other things, you know. Um, that's right. Could, we, couldn't this uh, perfume <laughs> been sold to help the poor? You know, yes, we think yes. of Judas's uh, questioning. You know, and there's something to that because we have that attitude today. We think of the ornate worship spaces of you know of these beautiful cathedrals and other places and you know and you come out here to the midwest and you know it's pretty it's pretty plain in comparison <laughs> uh, people are a little bit more prudent uh, which i think is funny because if you're saying well you know why don't we you know make our worship space really ornate they'll say oh that's a waste of money but then if they go on vacation they'll go to these 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 beautiful sanctuaries <laughs> and take pictures because it's so beautiful um, yeah. and, and so we see that, but I think there's something else here too. And that is, of course, where did they get all of this? And we know they got sure. it from the Egyptians. We've said that, you know, time and time again, but I wonder how many of them said, look at this plunder, look at this loot that God gave us from the Egyptians. And they're all imagining how they'll use this loot, you know, for the rest of their lives. And then God comes around and says, okay, you know, all that stuff I gave you. Yeah, it's actually not yours. It was mine the whole time. And now here's what we're going to end up doing with it. And so mm -hmm. I think that there's there's a real there's a real sacrificial connection there too. You know, it's not just the sacrifices that are coming, but it's you still have to rely on me. And yes, I gave this to you, but to use a modern term, it's not how much of yours you're going to give back to me, it's how much of mine you're going to keep for yourself. Uh, but with that said, once you divide it up amongst everybody, it actually doesn't end up being a ton per person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and it makes you wonder, you know, each person, you know, how much did they plunder of of Egypt, you know, and the plundering of Egypt, the gifts that the Egyptians gave us, these people are living, how much was it? And then as it's being all gathered together, it's obviously a significant amount. And does and it, I think that also teaches the the people of Israel too about their daily lives. I mean, they've been they're being given this lesson with the manna, the quail, the the water um, that God provides, and He gives daily bread. And we we pray that each and every day, hopefully, multiple times a day, when we pray, give us this day our our daily bread. Um, that it's it's this day. Right, we're not praying. I know, Lord, uh, make me rich today. Like that's not the prayer. It's give us this day our daily bread, because each day the Lord sustains us. And when they are gathering all this together, um, and it's and it's an overwhelm. We're blown away by by the, uh, the significance of the weight of these precious metals. Was that was that anything for the Lord to do? Was that really hard for Him to do? Um, right. No, it wasn't hard for Him. Um, and, uh, so the Lord can do these things and, and has done these things and, and if needed, he could do these things. So as we're, as we're looking about our worship space, does it need to be, uh, this filled with gold? Um, no, uh, does, does, you know, as we talk about need that that's not what's needed, the word of God and the gifts of God are what's needed, but is it, is there significance for us, um, to sacrifice and to understand the sacrifice of those who went before us, you know, our congregation uh, was uh, started in, in 1901 
Uh, I'm sure many others are, are older or not uh, as old, um, but there was a sacrifice that those uh, that went before us made to gather together, uh, to uh, gather what they had so that we can have uh, what's before us today. So we don't want to look down at what we have and say, well, right. I wish they would have given more. Well, what about us today? Why don't we give more? Why don't we build on uh, the sacrifices that God has called the generations before and, and continue uh, to beautify our worship as it draws our attention, our eyes to the beautiful sacrifice of our Lord Jesus? There's another message here related to that, and that is the sharing of this sacrifice. Now, I don't think any of our congregations contain 600,000 adult males, <laughs> but this community had 600,000 adult males. And so someone else has done the math uh, from a commentary that I'm looking at. I'm going to trust their math because my math is terrible. And, <laughs> and they uh, comment that of the 600,000 adult males, in terms of the silver required, yeah, it's like a ton of silver. But each one would only have to have given one-fifth of an ounce. And in terms of the gold, uh, the, it would have averaged less than one-seventeenth of an ounce of gold. So if you trust those numbers, which I don't have any reason not to, then you see that while it is a significant contribution in terms of, uh, I guess, uh, possessions or, or funds coming from the community and being you know located in one place, because – all the people contributed, we'll see that it actually made for kind of a, a light work. And that's a message for us too. You know, when we think of our congregations and we think of those who give to the worship of the Lord, typically, and I don't know if you know, I don't know if it's the case at your church, but across the board, it tends to be like the 80-20, right? 20 people, 20% rather, give, uh, and, and 80% typically don't give anything. And so if you were to say, well, if Everybody would give, and even those who give a lot now would give less, but everybody would give. The church would have so much resources, they literally wouldn't know what to do with it. And I think that's what we're kind of seeing here is how when the community all comes together, it, it actually makes for pretty light work. Yeah, I, I was uh, listening to uh, you know a pastor that was uh, much, much more uh, seasoned than I talk about stewardship. And, uh, and some lay people were talking all together and they were all in agreement, right? Any kind of financial problem the church has today, God has already answered. And the answer is in the pocket of all of the people currently today, right? It's all, sure. you've got it. You have it, right? You already have the answer. Now, now just open up your hearts to be willing to to give. And, and yes, uh, we give thanks for, for the ones for whom our Lord has uh, uh, com completed uh, his uh, um, work of transforming hearts so that they, yeah. they give so generously and they would be the first one. You know, when you talk about the 80-20 rule, you know, the 20% that give would never point to any of their gifts of, of being any significance, but they do uh, the he heavy lifting of the congregation. And that's, that's completely true. Right. Um, but they would never draw attention to themselves because they give because uh, the Lord has filled them with such generosity. And we we see that in the New Testament, too, that there are some 
who have been given that gift of generosity. And boy, are we blown away by their gifts. And often when I, I receive such a significant gift uh, for the use of the church, there's often a, a message on a check that says, uh, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. I'm like, wow, what a what a person, what God, you know, God has called up these people. And I'm sure that like the, you know, we talked about verse eight, those women uh, probably didn't walk around uh, the, uh, the community and say, well, I gave of my bronze, you know, they didn't do that. I'm sure they didn't because God had called them into a different service, a different ministry. And, and so many of our people uh, so thankful for their generosity and the ways in which we can, uh, minister to God's little children because uh, because of of God's people being generous and wanting the word to be spread. You speak of generosity. Just a few chapters ago in 35, we were talking about the contributions for the tabernacle, uh, collecting all of this material. It's being sort of rehashed here. But what was beautiful about it is that the Lord did not command them to do it. The thing that was commanded was that whoever is of a generous heart let him bring forth Yahweh's contribution, gold, silver, bronze, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you, you'll recall if you were listening to the show or if you just remember the chapter, they brought so much that Moses had to tell them to quit giving, you know, quit bringing. They were so generous. He's sending people away. And I had joked with the guest at the time that, you know, wouldn't that be an amazing problem in our church? It's like, folks, you guys have just given way too much. You know, we don't know what to do with all of these gifts. Uh, but that typically doesn't happen. But, you know, the Lord does provide through those who are led out of generosity. We don't, and, and, and taking a cue from this, we do wait. We do wait for the Lord to move people. We don't force people to give. Um, I've heard of some of these larger churches, and this is just speculation, but that like will do credit reports on people to make sure that they're that they're they're giving appropriately. Or um, in my own background, you know, I've experienced where the pastor passes the plate to raise enough money for something, and if there's not enough in it, he passes the plate again. I don't know that that's the appropriate way to handle things. <laughs> what we see here is just as you pointed out, out of a beautiful God-given generosity, people give. And so the way to increase giving, so to speak, or increase support isn't necessarily through the law. I mean, the law will, by the way, produce a result, uh, but it spikes and then will quickly go away. But leading people, educating them, connecting them to the gospel is what turns a person's heart to contribute. Yeah, and I think you're right on what he said gives uh, to their heart to contribute. And that's why Jesus, I mean, if you look at the New Testament, the Gospels, Jesus talks so much about money and greed and all these things because the heart, um, he cares so much about your heart and your heart can get so entangled, so um, so caught up in the things of this world to think that that's all that there is. And it is a faith issue because if you're only secure when the dollar amount is a certain amount or when you feel comfortable, well, then it, it speaks to the reality of um, where where your trust is. And that's a first commandment issue. And here they're being called to worship the Lord. And that's always a first commandment issue. And as as they're called to to, to make the, the dwelling place of God into this beautiful, and it was beautiful, um, a, a beautiful dwelling in which the glory of the Lord was there, giving it its true beauty. 
Um, but then the artistry and the things that they would see with their eyes and experience with their senses um, reflected to uh, the reality of God's presence with them. So I, I think our, our hearts are, are definitely in mind when we, when we, when we think about our worship space and our place where we can gather in God's presence and, and for the people of Israel here too. Brother, what else can we take away from this passage? So as we um, as we see here, I, I kind of talked about it at the, at the beginning, the, the two men uh, that are named, um, Bezalel and Oliam, uh, they, they were uh, gifted, uh, gifted in their artistry. And as we talked a little bit about uh, the different materials, the, the bronze, the, the, the silver, the gold that was uh, uh, received as they're leaving from Egypt, um, I would assume... I would assume that their artistry, their craft was probably honed in Egypt too. Um, so it's like, uh, you know, a person might be thinking, well, how can I, um, I'm using, you know, maybe I'll, I'll use this uh, kind of craft, you know, like uh, technology. I'm just a, I'm just a computer programmer, you know, and I do this job and there's, there's nothing spiritual in it. And I, I tell that person, well, um, everything that we do, Everything that we do is to the glory of the Lord, and 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 God uses this to, to care for your family and, and all. I mean, care for your neighbor and 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 through that to your family too. I mean, there's a lot to say there, but um, you know, as they were being trained out in in the world, uh, then they use their their gifts uh, to the glory of the Lord. Maybe too, as you're being trained out in the world, you can turn and use your gifts to the glory of the Lord too. So um, I, I was just reflecting on that today too, that it, that is a, that's quite something. Um, and there are many different, you know, women of our congregation use their, their gifts of, of sewing. We have a quilting and they've made a, a lot of quilts. And I know a lot of churches have quilting groups, but what a, what a joy it was to be able to take some of those quilts and give them to the poor, give them to those who are needy and things like that. And they do I give them to the seminary and that, and that's wonderful that they, they do that too. Um, but I also was able to give some to, to uh, people who are mourning in our congregation, especially as the, the time came closer to, to Christmas. And so as they were uh, cold this winter and wrapping up, uh, they could be reminded that they've been wrapped up in the prayers of the church and, and our, and our women, um, so yeah, there's a lot of gifts that God has given, and maybe we can reflect, how can I use these gifts uh, in God's service, in, in worship, around the church, the care of the church, and the care of my neighbor? Um, there's just, there's so much there. Um, yeah, so that that's one thing too that I was thinking about these two men, and, and I'm sure there was uh, many different craftsmen under their skilled work too, I'm sure. Yes, and I think your point here really balances out our conversation, which earlier seemed to be a lot of giving of uh, possessions, right? So gold and, and materials. Uh, but here, you're right. We, but Bezalel and Aholiab are, are craftsmen, and they're giving of their gifts of skill, skills that has been explicitly uh, mentioned in the Scripture several times, given to them by God. And I, am, I just imagine both of these men and all of the craftsmen that are under them, uh, and perhaps some of them they actually trained kind of on the fly, but I imagine them in Egypt 
um, as slaves using these skills for the benefit of false gods, using these skills for the benefits of uh, you know their their masters or even just the average Egyptian. And now you know all that time, all those skills that they were training up, and they probably were resentful at times, thinking of oh you know I'm forced to do this and I'm forced to use my skills for that. And the whole time, God knew that He would would press them into service. Uh, for his glory. Uh, and there is that direct connection, as you also pointed out, that we have been given gifts. And, and perhaps that's the only thing we can give up for one reason or another. But we always have something to contribute because the, the Lord has given us those things for the benefit of his church, for his people, and of course, for our neighbor. Yeah. And as we are looking at this text, it talks about some of the things that they use, the blues, the purples, the scarlets. It definitely was reflecting on the, the pyramids of our church and how often we are using blues and purples, uh, the blues uh, often reflecting of the incarnation of the Lord uh, as we're in Advent season, pointing ahead to uh, celebrating the nativity of Christ, the purples for for Lent and reflecting of our, our need for that great sacrifice, which is definitely made clear with a scarlet if your church ha our church does not have scarlet but if your church has scarlet that is a, a great blessing to be able to reflect on the the atonement the sacrifice of our lord so all these things that god used within the the uh tabernacle and the tent of meeting um for this uh beauty and, and, the, and these things uh we too use to reflect his um his divinity his incarnation and the atoning sacrifice that our Lord Jesus would make, um, all these coverings and the and the, and, and really the flesh, uh, the 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 coverings of the, the the tent of meeting itself, reflect Jesus and reflect that God would come and be with us as as one of us, and, and that is definitely made clear here of the wise. Why all this time? Why all this work? Why all this material? Well, Jesus has come. Uh, come and given of his glory, uh, laid this aside so that so that we would see his glory, not in brightness, not in gold, but in the sacrifice that he was willing to make of his his body and blood on the cross. And, and there we are made clean. There we are are given of his presence and the gifts that he gives to us. Not what we give to him, but what he has given to us in his son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is a, a glorious reality of the of this and these chapters that we have been reflecting on. Well, I couldn't think of a better way to end the show, so we'll just end it. I'd like to thank my guest, the Reverend John Shank, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Pastor, thanks for being on the show once again. I look forward to when you come back. Well, thank you. God's blessings. Tune in tomorrow, folks. We'll be heading into the penultimate chapter in Exodus, where we'll hear about the creation of the priestly vestments. So lots of colors then, too. And Thursday, it all comes together in chapter 40, when God calls upon Moses to set everything up that has been crafted for the tabernacle. And at the end of this week, we begin a new series on the book of Ruth, followed then by Esther. So don't miss that. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all. As we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.